0: and welcome to today's episode of Attendance Bias, or more accurately, Episode 2 of This Time Will Be Different, 15 Years Since Hampton. I am your host, Brian Weinstein. Today, I join my two co-hosts, Scott Marks and Charlie Dirksen of Fish.net and the Mockingbird Foundation to take a look at the 2.0 era, as well as Fish's breakup in 2004. For those of you who listened to Episode 1, it was clear, but not obvious, that Fish needed a break after Big Cypress, and it was never really in doubt during the hiatus that they would probably get back together. But in the second half of 2.0, mostly in the 2004 calendar year, it was glaringly obvious that Trey's physical health was in jeopardy, and the scene as a whole was rotting from the inside. In a little while, you'll hear Scott compare these three episodes to the original Star Wars trilogy. If that holds, Today's episode is The Empire Strikes Back. Our heroes are at their lowest point, and you have to be knocked down before you can rise up and win the day. It's telling that on attendance bias, 2.0 has by far the least number of shows represented by guests. It was and continues to be a divisive time in the band's history. I originally planned today's episode to be about the time of Fish's breakup. Just a little summary of 2.0, but really focusing on 2004 to 2008 and what the scene was like without the biggest band on tour. However, this conversation took a different route, and we just went with it. It wasn't always a pretty ride, but it has heart, and it makes the comeback in the next episode all the more meaningful. But we have to have the darkness before the dawn. So please, today, welcome Scott Marks and Charlie Dirksen of Fish.net and the Mockingbird Foundation as we continue, This Time Will Be Different, episode two hello everybody and welcome back to attendance bias or our three episode detour this is episode two of this time will be different 15 years since hampton so i am here again with my co-hosts scott marks and charlie dirksen of the mockingbird foundation and fish.net scott how are you doing today great
1: happy to be back for episode two
2: and charlie Hi, I'm I'm definitely not as great as Scott, but I'm but I'm also <laughs> actually I'm not as happy to be back as Scott as well. But uh, but thank you all the same.
0: Not as happy? You're not happy to talk about 2.0?
2: Uh, <laughs> it's a loaded question. Um, of course, I am. I, I'm talking about fish is is uh, a is a wonderful pastime. True enough.
0: And for all of our listeners who haven't yet checked out the first episode, if this is your first one in this little three episode detour. This is just an acknowledgement, a look at 15 years since 3.0 began in 2000, March of 2009. And we figured we could take a look back not just at that beautiful weekend at Hampton, but also what kind of led up to it. So, episode one was about the end of 1.0, mostly 1999, 2000, and then the hiatus, what the jam scene was like without fish and all of the other bands that were there, what live music we saw during that time. And then, of course, it ended with Fish's comeback on December 31st, 2002, at Madison Square Garden. Of the three of us, Charlie was the only one present. And Charlie, you said it was like the best vibe ever, right?
2: Yeah, it was incredible. It was um, uh, the the vibe, you know, as ridiculous as it is to talk about the vibe of a show, um, that was one of the few shows where it actually mattered, much like... Uh, 12-31-95 or 103194 obviously Hampton in March of 09 the um the vibe of December 31 2002 was just incredible cuz fish was back and we were all there for the new year and it was you know the first show since some um, the somewhat dark shows at shoreline in October of uh, 2000 so it was um everyone was just uh, couldn't be more excited frankly when fish came out
0: and to summarize We spent a lot of time in episode one talking about what led to 1.0, and I simplified it, you could say incorrectly, as drugs, but drugs were more of a symptom of the larger problem. And we brought up the Betty Ford Clinic, that backstage area where the band allowed not even friends necessarily, but people, friends and, I guess, fans, to come by, get uh, free drinks, and then it kind of turned into, I guess, an ugly scene uh, as it grew and since we recorded the first episode i did a little bit of research and in an article published in rolling stone in 2016 written by patrick doyle on october 21st 2016 so those of you with a rolling stone subscription can go back and check it out the article is titled fish's new harmony how america's greatest jam band Learned to get along so this was released around the time of big boat but it does it is pretty in-depth about what led to the hiatus and then later the breakup Trey is cited as saying that the Betty Ford Clinic toward the year 2000 that he kind of was in this dream world that started in the mid 90s and he got a little bit too carried away with this false reality of what real life was like and he said the Betty Ford Clinic got out of hand Anastasio remembers a guest list of 3200 people at one concert. A direct quote from Trey, it was like Dante's Inferno. It was the outer rings of hell back there. And then it goes along to say, along the way, Anastasio got addicted to pills. That was kind of, I guess, the fast-forwarded version of why they went on hiatus and then why they broke up. So things were pretty ugly in 1999 and 2000, but they got back. The vibe was great. And then after New Year's Eve 2002, they had a big February tour scheduled. Scott, what was your first show back in two
1: My first show back was two twenty eight oh three uh, at the Nassau Coliseum.
0: Do you remember any expectations that you had? No, I mean, I, I I think there was
1: definitely the excitement of you know my first show back, you know, for my my favorite band. And one point I used to have a backpack, like a, a JanSport backpack, that I would carry around shows and I have all sorts of stuff inside. And you couldn't do that uh in 2003 my first fish show after 9-11. And I remember going into the show and I, I couldn't bring the backpack in. I realized I wasn't gonna be able to argue with security. And so there's a giant bin, like on the dumpster if you will, like right right next to security. And so tossed the bag in there walk past security, reach back in and grab my backpack and walk into the show. So it was a little more uh irresponsible um twenty twenty years ago than I than I am now. And obviously we don't try and mess with security at this point. It's not worth it, but younger, stupider whatever. And so that's what I did at that point. And you know the shows were had some great highlights you know Vegas standing out specifically from we can have earlier in the tour and some some uneven moments as well but the, just I think just the the sheer excitement of the band being back sometimes you can hear a show and really get a sense for the crowd on um, that night like the, the crowd's roaring through you know almost the entire show um and just the the energy um Mind you, I mean, had um, Return of Destiny. That that still gives me goosebumps all these years later. I put that on and, you know, opening notes and you can hear the crowd and then plus the rest of the crowd realizes what's going on. It's just, a, it still has that effect on me all these years later. So um, that was one of the three shows that year that got released uh, as an official live CD release, which they were still doing up until... In 2003, might have been. The the 20 live fish shows that that were released formed the the Jim Pollock artwork. Um, And then they had these three CDs that were released, 228.03, 715.03, and 729.03. So my first two shows back were 228 NASA and 729 Bourbon Sound. So I had a very good uh, re-entry the fish that year.
0: That show, that NASA Coliseum show is certainly a tentpole of 2.0. I mean, that tweezer alone is certainly well regarded. That Back on the Train is probably the best version of that song, at least type one version uh, ever played. And of course, the return of Destiny Unbound. Uh, My first show for 2.0 after the comeback uh, was back to back about a week before yours. It was in Cincinnati, the February 21st and 22nd of 2003. And I was thrilled. I was so happy that Fish was back. This was a big road trip for me for the first time for Fish. My roommate, my college roommate and I drove from Buffalo all the way to Cincinnati. I thought they were pretty tight for those two shows, although I got a little hint of what the 2.0 sound would be like in Down With Disease, 2001, Bathtub Gin, the 22nd had Piper into Weakapaw Groove in, in the first set. There was an Extended Walls of the Cave. Uh, There was not much of a lot scene because it was so rainy and cold both nights. But to me, I was wondering, not at the time, but soon after, what did the hiatus really accomplish? And I don't know if it did accomplish much because to me, it kind of, as a fan, picked up the scene did right where it left off. Did either of you guys notice anything different compared to 2000 to 2003, for example? I don't think yeah. the
1: scene. I'm not sure how much the scene has really changed. Period. Yeah. Um, you still have people that will pregame, in lots if they can. You know, beers. Some places beers and cups. Some places open containers. You have a shakedown where you know it's possible. So, I mean, this this goes back really before Fish. I would imagine for the Grateful Dead, which you know I I never saw live, but I would imagine it's the same scene where it's just been. You know that, that party atmosphere um, and the drugs have always been available if you knew where to look. Um, so I don't think that's definitely as far as fish goes. That hasn't changed in 1.0, 0, 2.0, 0, or
2: 3.0. Right, and actually, um, to your point, Scott, I was actually at the the only show I saw in 2003 was uh, Shoreline, the first of the two Shoreline shows in July of '03, and. The lot scene at that Shoreline show was akin to the lot scene at any Grateful Dead other ones show, you know, show in the late 90s. Um, There was a similar shakedown scene, people hanging out, obviously, in the lots, um, which are extensive at Shoreline. There's just uh, several very, very large lots. Shoreline's enormous. There were scenes all over the place, frankly um which is which was common um at dead shows uh and dead related shows at shoreline so I mean I agree in other words Brian I I think it's been a there's maybe been a change in degree but not in kind in terms of the scene like if the if there's a big enough lot to support a a significant scene there's going to be a a pretty substantial amount of folks you know, pre-gaming and partying in a lot, and there's going to be a really healthy shakedown street. So, you know, I think it just depends on the venue nowadays, how large it is. Yeah, we mentioned
0: that in our last episode, that it kind of varies venue to venue. I tried to zoom out when I was getting ready for today's conversation about changes between 2000 and 2002. I first started thinking about the fish world and their sound. Obviously, they had a different jamming style. And Uh, an overall sound in 2.0 than they did even toward the end of 1.0. But then when I kept zooming out, like the world changed to your little anecdote earlier, Scott, about having to leave your backpack at security. Fish was on hiatus for two years and two months. George W. Bush in that time was elected. I put that in quotes, president in a landmark Supreme Court case. He was appointed president. Uh, The 9-11 terrorist attacks occurred, which damaged the national psyche, Beyond repair. There was a tremendous lockdown in air travel and uh, other security pretty much everywhere. Yankee Stadium, it would be forever changed. Uh, America was at war for the global war on terror. Uh, As a teacher, I was learning that No Child Left Behind had the effect of increased standardized testing. There was the Beltway Sniper, if you guys remember that in DC. Just things got pretty wacky. Uh, But what I remember from Fish in particular. And you get, feel free to correct me. It seemed like there was a huge increase in recreational pharmaceuticals because they were much more prescribed and easily for sale in this time. Maybe I just wasn't looking for them at all because I was never into pills. But I don't know. It just seemed that in fish and outside of fish, we were in you know, Sackler mode. Do you like, did you guys notice any of that at that point? Or is that just all in my personal experience?
2: And I didn't go to fish shows really. I mean, as you know, as I mentioned, Brian, I mean, I only saw one show in 03 and I only saw a couple shows in 04. So, right. I, I I really don't know how to answer that. Yeah, I, I guess I didn't notice it.
0: I guess maybe it was more toward 2004 than 2003. And I guess 2.0 in my mind can be kind of split up into two different, different segments. I thought that 2003 largely was more of a positive year, more consistency. And then around Thanksgiving time in 2003, they had their 20 year Thanksgiving run, which was four shows in the Northeast. And those seemed to me to kind of be a breaking point of 2.0, that it was where things kind of went from a little more consistent, a little more upbeat. And then they kind of just all fell apart. Like I have memories, um, especially in the summer tours during 2003 that were really fun. I thought it was a high point of 2003. Uh, the Camden shows that was right before it was excellent. Charlie, you mentioned that you went to go see them at Shoreline. What do you remember about those shows? That was, I think, toward the beginning of the summer tour,
2: right? Um, I just checked. It was July 9th was the first of the two Shoreline shows, July nine uh, two thousand three, and it's got a. It had a really strong first set. It opened with "You Enjoy Myself," went into uh, that, went into a really good simple. Uh, mountains in the mist which is one of my favorite fish ballads was 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 in the third slot which is obviously not common then or now then chalk dust which is pretty good it had sort of this crazy crazy ending if i remember correctly it looks like there's a note about it with a very similar end to um mango apparently and um oh. then it ended with a with a bathtub gin that's um I'm just double checking. Yeah, it's on the jam chart. It's a really sick gym. and that was just the first set. So it was a six song, or excuse me, five song. Can't even count. Five song first set, July 9th, 03. That's definitely worth hearing. But then the second set, um, as good as the set looks on paper, just wasn't that great. And the encore was Love and Cup. I don't know. It just uh, my, my my wife and I just didn't really have a great time. And that was actually my wife's last fish up was July 9th, 2003, over 20 years ago now. And uh and so I sold our tickets to July 10th on the way out of uh July 9th, um, which is the only time I've ever sold uh my own tickets to a fish concert for the next night on my way out of out of show at Shoreline. But anyway, uh so yeah, that, that was the only show I saw and it was um it had a wonderful first set. So, and so I, I absolutely did not regret going, but, um, but I didn't see them again until, until summer of four.
1: For me, I I did NASA. I did Burgett's town and I did the first night of Camden and as well as the four Thanksgiving run shows, the way that that summer, 2003 tour ended up, it was a really, really strong finish. Uh, the it shows were great. Camden shows were great. it's arguably one of the best there's no arguably it is one of the best hoods of all time uh, that was in that second night of, uh, of Camden. Um, that will hold its own against anything in my opinion. Uh, it's just it's it's fantastic. and for a band that had been back for less than a year it's it's fantastic, fantastic place to be. I don't think the Thanksgiving shows were a sign of what was to come. I don't think it was quite that low point because the Miami shows, I, that was another really strong New Year's run in my, my opinion. Next spring's a different story, but as far as 2003 goes, I like think ended on a really high note.
0: I guess my impression of those Thanksgiving shows kind of being a breaking point is because I didn't attend the New Year's run in Miami. So I don't have any particular strong connection to that. I saw the first night of the, Thanksgiving run at the Coliseum, which I thought was pretty strong. There was a great, I think it's ACDC bag into first tube that blew me away. And also the debut of Crowd Control, which I thought was a pretty strong message from the band to the audience. And then the 29th, the second night, which was in Philadelphia, to me is one of the most forgettable shows I've ever attended. I remember more about getting to the show than I remember about being inside of it.
1: I think there was definitely, at least for me, um, a lot of expectations going into that weekend uh, with being a 28th anniversary run. And you, know, you, you look back and there were there were things each night, the dude of life the first night, who probably not the the, the best thing to say, hindsight with the breakup that would come around, but uh, dude of life said something like, here's the 20 years and here's to 20 years more. And then <laughs> and breaks up. But the second night was... Tom Marshall. And then, you know, up in Albany, you, you had Jeff Holdsworth that reappeared Tom briefly. And then you had the, the huge video montage for the show in Boston. Um, So, there, you know, there, there are definitely things that you know were, were nice, but just for, for me, it wasn't quite on the same level as the end of summer 2003 and Miami. You know, there are some, some fun things like in the, the Boston show with that, First half of that second set, rock and roll roll, week of Pog, Twee Prize, Frankenstein, Kung Frankenstein, um, that hood opener. And so there are there are definitely some, some perks. And you know, again, Jeff Holdsworth coming back first time since the mid-80s, I think is still a special thing. You know, was it musically epic? No, I don't think so. But it was something that was still memorable and a special experience to, to see see that and you know can still play you know all those years later just fine
0: i agree i think that's something that most of us could honestly say we never thought we would see to see jeff holdsworth come back on stage considering all we knew about it was he showed up one day to Trey, kind of like with a rope around his shoulder as a guitar string a guitar uh strap saying that he's gonna devote his life to playing just acoustic uh, religious music and he kind of just just disappeared, right? He was kind of a mythical figure at that point. So to see him come on and play possum with the band, I could see that angle. That is, I don't want to call it fan service because that has a negative connotation, but it was a gift to the fans, those four uh, special guests or uh, including the video in Boston. But then after New Year's Eve in Miami, we kind of tipped over into 2004 and. I don't know how many people have many positive things to say about 2004 as a year for fish. What do you guys think? If you hear fish in 2004, what are your first thoughts?
1: The the first word that comes to my mind is, is dark darkness. You know, this was a not a, not a good time. In my opinion, I flew to my first shows for Vegas for whatever reason I hadn't gone to Miami. And so I figured, you know, I, Make up for it by going to Vegas.
0: And that was in April of 2004, just to be clear, right? Yes. Yeah. There are
1: very few shows that I, I would say are bad shows and even less than willing to admit publicly, you know, because no one wants to really hear if you've had a bad time or whatever. And I, I didn't have a bad time in Vegas, but like you didn't have Corona on Lights, you had Fenton Williams, um, and Dave Matthews Band. And, no no slate on, on Fenton, but it's, it's not not the same without Corota, and nothing will ever be the same without Kuroda. I think I think Chris was in rehab at that point. And if I'm incorrect, I apologize. And Trey had no voice. Uh, so songs that you know I would normally love to go back and re-listen to. I I I cringe anytime somebody sends a sellers correction for those Vegas shows that to go back and listen to uh, because I just, it's something I do not enjoy going back to, you know, I mean, Jen Hartzell coming out was great. Uh, the Tweezer was great there. There was some decent music played, but just the, the sound of the band itself um, and vocals are definitely a, a big part. You can't nail the vocals. Was that tied into them breaking up? I, I don't know. Jesse Jarno had written an article around that time and uh, unfairly got bashed for being the reason why the band broke up. I mean, it wasn't his fault. You know, he was just the scapegoat with that article coming out. And I think by June when the summer shows are going on, the announcement made and you're, you're almost like dead man walking at that point. You know, this is the end. It, it puts a different perspective on what's going on. The shows were overall not I don't think they were quite as good as 2003, with the exception of Spac. Uh, those two shows were, for one reason or another, just you know, light years beyond anything else that had been played that year, in my opinion. Just to say that the other shows didn't have their moments, and they certainly did, but you know, pound for pound, the Spac shows were top tier, in my opinion.
2: Right. To be clear, June 19 and June 20. Of 2004 I was going to say it's like you know it's funny Brian when you said what do you think of what do you guys think of when you first think of 2004 and I mean for me I think 2004 musically gets a really bad rap for obvious reasons because there's plenty to criticize but it honestly kind of bugs me that a lot of people just sort of shit on 04 without having actually listened to it like there's a lot of people out there who shit on Coventry who haven't gone back to listen to the music at coventry and some of the music at coventry is just awe-inspiringly good i mean to this day up there with the finest most incredible fish that's ever been performed in fish history and yes so the lows at coventry were among the, you know, the, it just doesn't get any lower. I mean, Paige, you know, crying during <laughs> waiting in the velvet sea, you pretty much don't get lower than that. But like, but, but the fact is that the highs, um, the musical highs at 04 and, you know, at SPAC and at some other shows that in, in 04 were just, it's just spectacular fish. I mean, it, it's as good as anything, in my opinion. And so, I mean, for me, pound for pound, I, I agree with Scott about 03. I'd give the nudge to 03 for sure, you know, as a year over 04. But I would put 04 over fucking, you know, 96 and a whole host of years <laughs> in 1.0. I mean, don't even get me started. It's like, I, I, I'm, I'd i have to really do some serious thinking about which years I would, in 1.0, I would put over 2004, just musically, just just based on the highs, the musical highs, the improvisational highs, because there's just some just some just you know magnificent awe-inspiring fish in 04 and so i think it gets a real bad rap because obviously there's some real shit um just total you know ass music that was performed (laughs) you know just garbage uh that was performed and that i think brings everyone down and obviously um you know for good reason but I, i i think 04 does get a a pretty bad rap when it's discussed with you know with other years and, and it's sort of unfairly maligned and I haven't actually thought about it to this very moment, but I would put Oh four musically over a fucking ton of, of years in the last 12, 13 years. Um, just because the highs were that high in my opinion. And yes, the lows were terribly low and it doesn't get any lower, but I don't know. I think Oh four gets a bad rap musically.
1: I think that's fair. I, so I did all the shows outside of the one on top of the Ed Sullivan theater you know, again, for, for better or for worse. Um, and the, like at Great Woods, where you had the ACDC bag and and the birds with feather, those are also top tier versions. Um, and once you get past the start of Coventry, split open and melt, that's a fantastic version as well. Oh, one of the years, Kevin Shapiro had a live bait with festivals. He cut out the beginning of the melt. Uh, you still have good 20, 25 minutes um, uh, melt after that was super long um, i'm looking at the the jam chart notes here where it says skip the composed version and in parentheses ugly and goes straight to <laughs> the jam that's released on live 8 Volume 5 which is excellent extended and improvisation that's i mean there there are good melts but to have something like that uh, it's really something that's completely un, un-melt like if you will the problem I have with 04 is really, unfortunately, for me, the the bad takes a front seat over the good in that year with the, the bookends of uh, experiences for me in Vegas and and Coventry, uh, which I'll, I'll talk about later on in this episode. But like any year, there are definitely highlights, and you know, I, I think it's fair to say that you know the highlights from 2004 do stand above other other years for sure. Uh, But just the, you know, personal experience for me, I guess, you know, definitely plays into everything.
0: I feel similarly, and that's kind of what my podcast is generally about, right? It's about personal experiences and how they kind of unfairly, maybe, I don't know if that's the right word, but they shape your memories of a a certain shift. Right, his perception. And I remember way back, I think it was May 25th, 2004, was the date when Trey announced, and I put his name on the front of it because the note was signed, Trey Anastasia. It was not from Fish That Coventry was going to be the last show and that they were breaking up. I got the news. I remember being on the way to Shea Stadium. I was going to see the Mets play the Phillies, and I looked it up. The Mets won 5-0. Behind Steve Traxel, a good number two starter. Uh, I had a cell phone by then, but we were not. Dave, I haven't heard in a
1: long time.
0: Yeah, right. Steve Traxel. He had a good career. Wasn't not the best, you know. He's not a Hall of Famer, but he's a good, reliable starter. And I'm not a Mets fan. But yeah, anyway, baseball
1: fan first and foremost. Um, <laughs> sorry to interrupt. I just went down a little bit of the rabbit hole there.
0: <laughs> but I, I, we were at the point in 2004 where I had a cell phone. But we did not have smartphones. I was not at the point where I could check my email. So the, my friend who was in the front seat could. And he said, oh, he just got an email that said a note or a message from Trey. And he said it out loud. He read it out loud. It said, quote, and forgive me for reading it out loud. Last Friday night, I got together with Mike, Paige, and Fish to talk openly about the strong feelings I've been having that Fish has run its course and that we should end it now while it's still on a high note. Once we started talking, it quickly became apparent that the other guys' feelings, while not all the same as mine, were similar in many ways. Most importantly, that we all love and respect Fish and the Fish audience far too much to stand by and allow it to drag on beyond the point of vibrancy and health. We don't want to become caricatures of ourselves or worse yet, a nostalgia act. By the end of the meeting, we realized that after almost 21 years together, we were faced with the opportunity to graciously step away in unison as a group united in our friendship and our feelings of gratitude. So Coventry will be the final fish show. We are proud and thrilled that will be in our home state of Vermont. We are also excited for the June and August shows, our last tour together. For the sake of clarity, I should say that this is not like the hiatus, which was our last attempt to revitalize ourselves. We're done. It's been an amazing and incredible journey. We thank you all for the love and support you've shown us. Trey Anastasio. I remember calling my mom after my friend read that out loud and asked her to log into my email just to make sure it wasn't like some sort of uh, spam. And I remember hearing it. I could hear her now. She's I gave her my email address and password. She had to log in. And she said, Oh, I see it. A message from Trey. And then there was a really long pause. And on the other end of the uh the phone, I heard, uh oh. <laughs> so that was how I found out. Uh my reaction, I don't know. I guess it says something that I remember going to the game. Like I wasn't so crushed. I don't know. Like I picture teeny boppers when the Beatles announced their breakup crying themselves you know to to sleep and being like really upset i wasn't i don't know what it was like do you guys remember how you reacted when you found out was it devastating was it surprising was it okay i guess this is just how it is charlie oh, like, you were
2: busy yeah i mean i was furiously busy um with my work and career at that point as i mentioned i only saw one show in 03 mm-hmm. um i was getting cd's of shows primarily thanks to Chris Glushko, if I remember correctly, um, in 03 and 04. So I was still listening to everything and trying to keep abreast of everything. I wasn't in the same mindset I was for, you know, most of the 90s in that I wasn't, like, trying to see every fish show I could. What I do remember changing is that I actually went to see fish in the movie theater <laughs> <laughs> and on that June 17 Brooklyn show. There's no way I think I would have done that, um, made it a point to do that, but for Trey's breakup letter. Um, because it's just, you know, I would have just waited for the for this to get it, get the CDs of the show if it was any good. You know what I mean? I wouldn't have tried to go see him in a movie theater in San Francisco, which is what I did. And I also tried to, you know, see them that summer, schedule permitting and and I wouldn't have done that, I don't think, but for Trey's letter. 'cause uh I just wasn't as i was still listening to everything, but I wasn't as huge a fish fan as I was a few years earlier, and frankly, I'm a way bigger fish fan now than I was in 04. <laughs> i really i really am i'm like way, I'm a bigger fish fan now i think than I was in probably nineteen ninety nine through two thousand four I think a big part of it is fish i mean i just I really like their music these days. I mean, I really like it. If they, if fish was playing shit that I didn't like, I wouldn't be listening to them. And I certainly wouldn't be going to their shows. You know what I mean? I also have a lot of respect for Trey's sobriety. I mean, just, just incredible respect for that. The will that takes. And not only did he come back, you know, um in 09 healthy, he he's still there, you know, he's still at it. And his sobriety and I think is inspiring people more even than this music i mean yeah that's you know, fair it's amazing and that's that's inspiring to me too i think so once i want to support them they're good people you know not just good music anyway but i haven't i obviously haven't given it a lot of thought right but first and foremost i love their music that's uh, i'm sure that's why i'm still fan. that's as good as <laughs> answer as any <laughs> yeah, right
0: <laughs> scott do you remember your reaction to hearing this or reading this announcement the sadness
1: and it, I mean, it's still hard hearing that red 19 years later you know it's it's been my favorite band since you know really the first time i heard their notes in 94 saw my first show in 97 wanted to see them as much as i could at that point so i, I had done you know, 55 shows from fall of 97 to the hiatus then did another 26 shows in 2.0 where I did all the ones in 2004, so I was still in that that mind of go see everything and to to have something that you you love dearly you know ripped away from you is tough. and obviously it had to happen. You know when you you read those words, you know we're done. You know, these shows will be it, and you know, then they're they're gone for a bunch of years and now. You know, we're we're coming up on fifteen years of them being back, happy and healthy, and you, know, you could make all the jokes you want about recording songs or or Trey changing his voice for certain things, but the fact that they're still there and they're playing fantastic music, you know, it's 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 a blessing, it's a gift, and it's something that I appreciate uh, every day.
0: I think that mirrors a lot of my emotions as well. Uh, I think the. So, always the English teacher, I think the declarative sentences in that message, even though I wasn't crying over myself, it, it maybe it didn't sink in. Maybe I was in shock when I first read it, and then on my way to a Mets game, like, all right, well, I'll worry about that later. I'll let that process later. That idea where it says this is not like the hiatus, which was our last t- attempt to revitalize ourselves, we're done. Like the wording itself was just don't try to justify this to yourselves like don't try to rationalize this like we're telling you it's over and that was harsh very harsh conversely on the other side of things my friends and i already had tickets for brooklyn and spack and coventry but this kind of led to a new sense of urgency see every show because they're going to be gone it's going to be out of stock soon so we got tickets for great woods and uh i didn't have tickets for camden But uh, we went anyway, and we were able to find tickets for Camden. Uh, Two days after the announcement was made, the Syracuse Post-Standard published an interview with John Fishman's dad, Leonard. And John was quoted as saying, we're going to play our hearts out on this tour. And so after I read this, I thought the rest of uh, 2004 would be filled with, like, rarities, special shows, themes, stories, narrations – Not really the case. Uh, I I was still learning to leave my expectations at home. Uh, But in terms of music, I mostly remember, and this is a little bit at odds with what you said, Charlie. I remember mostly long stretches of directionless sound with Trey staring at his pedals or his shoes or the thousand yard stare with an occasional peak now and then. Like when people cite great shows of 2004, my experience, maybe I'm not talking to the right people, they always mention certain jams, but not necessarily entire shows.
2: I absolutely agree with that. In fact, um, the, as to Scott's point, I think the only entire shows that were very good overall shows were the SPAC shows in June. Like the Hampton show that I was lucky enough to get to in August, the first set is like amazing, just a spectacular set of fish. and. The second set, it's like a entirely different band showed up. Um, just a terrible set of fish, like you know, as by fish standards. So I hear you. I agree with that. And I think there aren't as many overall excellent shows in 04 as in most other years.
1: I mean, it's hard to get off the mat when your first song of the second says all these dreams. Um <laughs> and you know, I I always feel that um. You know, they, they will play what they want to play at any time on stage. you know whatever mood they're in is what's going to happen and doesn't matter what what the fans think. I've, I've also discovered that you know one person's trash, another person's treasure. For me when the song when a set starts with that and there's no fire, no punch to it. Um, the first set was was fantastic. you know some top notch uh, music played. You know, five songs set and it was also my, my first time at Hampton. Um, so you know, I was excited for that. Not necessarily the the fact that there was a show in Massachusetts literally the next day, which is just a lot of driving uh, to get from point A to point B, but you know, it was worth it. Again, I'm not, I'm not really a fan of that second set either. You know, there are some, some good parts of it for sure, but overall, um, not nearly where it was in the first set. You know, again, that point in my life you know still going into shows with expectations I'm like this is hampton i'm here stuck in uh, 97 98 had been on the, the forefront of my mind at that point just some sort of special energy and vibe with the coliseum which you know has existed through you know all vicious career and other bands that play there as well just that special place
0: Hi everybody, Brian here to welcome you to the set break of today's episode of Attendance Bias. First, thank you for listening. And second, just a quick reminder to tell you that even though Attendance Bias comes to you for free, it does take a lot of work and it does take quite a bit of money to keep the lights on here at production So I just wanted to ask a small favor, if you could support the podcast in any number of the following ways, if you could leave a review or a rating of it on whichever podcast app you use, if you could spread the word telling a friend or someone you think may be interested in it about it, or probably the most concrete way is to go to www.buymeacoffee.com slash attendance bias and donate however much you can financially to help with the continuing costs of attendance bias. So thank you again so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy the second half of today's episode. Scott, how did you experience Coventry? Did you go? Did you stay at home and go to a movie theater? What was your experience that weekend? I
1: did do Coventry, um, and we drove up. And there had been, I think, a hurricane or some sort of remnants of a tropical storm that completely wrecked uh the, the festival grounds there is a tremendous bottleneck getting to the shows um, where we're just sitting on 91 uh for a good 24 hours and not moving. I keep these these tour journals and people will see me walking around with notebooks while I'll write down the set list. And I will also write down what happened before, during and after the shows. Uh, so in one of the books, it describes what had actually happened during the 24 hours or or what have you. Um, I don't remember it. I've, I think I've tried to push a lot of that weekend out of my head. But we ended up getting into the, the grounds. I think I had like a tent, maybe a backpack because I didn't have to toss this one out. The shows had their highlights and also some some rough spots like the waiting in the velvet sea. I don't know if fish really and music can really be considered traumatic to a listener, but it's something where, you know, that left a mark on me and the same page breakdown, listening to breakdown. And, you know, it finally hit me during fast Enough for you. Um, I think I was on the rail that night. Um, this is when there was no early entry. You just, once the gates open, you ran as fast as you could. And, all of a sudden, you're, you're running and you're you're looking to your left and to your right. And you see people that are faster than you are. Somehow, I still managed to get up there for at least a little bit. And I you was know, bawling my eyes out during fast enough for you. But then that's then it. That's it. It's over. And I get back to my campsite. And there are all these stage rivers swimming around. And which is kind of a surreal thing at like 1 o'clock in the morning to be walking back to campsite in the middle of this, this mud hole, piece of hell. And I look over at a tent that's like 10 feet away. And there's this guy lying face down in the tent. And apparently some guy had been wandering around and went to 10 OD'd and died. And so it's like one, two o'clock in the morning. And I'm sitting in a lawn chair or something outside my tent. Just trying to take this all in where, you know, this band I love so much is done, but I'm in my twenties and I have my, my life ahead of me and you know this, this guy doesn't. Um and so it, it kind of put things into perspective uh, immediately. You know, as as awful as it was that you know a band that I love was done playing. You know, it, it was just a band in music as opposed to life in general.
0: Yeah, that's harsh. Charlie, how did you experience Coventry?
2: I had a um, uh, much different experience than Scott, when that was a rough story. I had it pretty, pretty good. I, um, no, I no had a people. work. Yeah, no one died in a Excellent. in any tent near me. I didn't even stay in a tent. I drove. I I had a work meeting in New York on the Monday following the show at noon, and so I and I and I only made it to Coventry because a friend of mine who was a friend of christy anastasio manning um trey's sister he had called i hadn't talked to him in a while and he had called he called me in in july of 04 and asked if i wanted to go to the Coventry shows with him and because i wasn't planning to go and the only reason i made it was because of him and because of work having to be, you know work around that weekend on the east coast and, and actually i should mention that very sad sadly and tragically, um, Christy, Trey's sister, uh, died of neuroendocrine cancer in April of 2009. So shortly after the Hampton shows in 2009, which is difficult to forget. I mean, just uh, the emotions that Trey must have been going through around that time. But anyway, um, Coventry, obviously, we were all going through emotions at Coventry, too, especially Trey. But I had it really simple. I, I It was just an incredibly fortunate experience that i even made it to coventry uh, my friend ken you know he he picks me up at the at burlington btv that saturday morning It was a gorgeous morning august 14th and we drove to coventry on the back on some kind of back route so there's no traffic zero to be clear zero traffic we hit no traffic on saturday morning this beautiful morning um and we get to the venue and we end up in the friends and family lot, which is right next to the venue. So adjacent to the venue, we were parked right next to where people could see fish. And so to say I was spoiled and fortunate is just sort of a grotesque understatement. And not only that, we had you know access to the clinic there, um, which is right next to where we parked. Right next to the venue, so it mean, just it was just this ludicrous experience, and I met Christy, you know, for the first time, and she actually invited Ken and I to stay with uh, her and her mom at some condo, and of course, I was like, <laughs> "Are you kidding me? This has already been the most fortunate experience of my life. Um, I can't possibly do that." But I obviously thanked her for for kindness, but it was just, it was a crazy situation. I was being blessed beyond all comprehension. So my experience of country was extremely emotional. You know, seeing friends was definitely the highlight by far. And I, I think I spent the first night on top of Ken's car. I think I slept on his car because there was mud around, but nothing like what, you know, the vast majority of people experienced. And then, uh, you know, after curtain with on Sunday night, we, we, Immediately drove to the airport. We go to Burlington and our an, an airport hotel, or at least I did. Can't remember where Ken went. And um, I spent one hour in a bed that I remember at mm-hmm. at the hotel. I got, I took a one hour nap, just passed out and then went to get on a plane and flew to New York that Monday morning. So, yeah, it was just, I had a crazy experience. Um, That's a much better experience than that weekend.
0: Yeah, mine too. I would not call Coventry a blessed experience, (laughs) but more power to you. I had, uh, I think what would be a more typical one. Um, My friends and I, we had a hotel room for the night after Camden, but maybe five of us just sleeping all over the room. We drove the next day and we got stuck in that massive traffic jam. We heard all the rumors of Oh, they closed the entrance. They're using tractors to bring in cars one at a time. Or my friend knows someone who has a back road. Like All the rumors came flying at us. So we were up in the car all night. I, re- I had the early morning driving shift and we were driving through the entrance under the overpass when Mike Gordon got on the bunny radio to make the announcement that anyone still on the highway would be denied entrance. So as opposed to now, when you would be very carefully guided to a camping spot there was no one it was every man for himself we just drove in and we just had to find any spot where you could set up a tent the least muddy spot that you could find we eventually did and we all know what went down that weekend uh musically uh it was very typical for us you know we we were exhausted because we had just seen uh the the shows that we went from new york to great woods to camden to coventry I I can never do that these days. So we did that insane travel week. Uh, Didn't sleep really at all from when we got into Coventry. And once Trey stopped the curtain to restart it, quote, in the key, it was originally written. My friend Craig and I just looked at each other and like, let's go. Like, I've had enough. You know, I wasn't really digging the music they were playing that week anyway. And despite all the sad emotion, my patience gave out. They're stopping it in the middle of of the song to start it over again. I don't know. Maybe it's the New Yorker in me. I just, I, I I wasn't ready to put up with anything else. So I remember when we left driving out of the festival, seeing miles and miles of cars parked on both sides of the highway facing us as we were driving away from it. It was intense. I just, that's one of my sharpest memories of just headlights after headlights after headlights. We drove through the night down to Long Island where we lived stopped at the local diner for pancakes. And I remember after it was all over, I was kind of happy and relieved. I remember thinking after some of the shows I saw that summer that if this is how they're going to play night to night, it's probably better that they break up, which is not a usual thought for me. I'm usually their biggest booster. But I also liked how the fish story now had an ending. Like everything was in context. Now we know how the story ends. And I felt kind of at peace with that. At that point, after Coventry, after you know, my brain uh, kind of made peace with this. I remember from 2005 to 2008. First of all, I was entering the workforce. I went to graduate school. I was student teaching, and I got my first job as a full-time teacher, my current career. So I kind of became an adult uh, in in some respects uh, after Fish broke up. But I remember musically, like the hiatus, I was going to live music every night, it seemed like with Fish definitively off the road, like there was an enormous vacuum to fill for the fan base. And it seemed like any group of five musicians with a percussionist could call themselves a jam band and get a spot somewhere at a festival. So I remember the rise of smaller jam-centric festivals like 10,000 Lakes, Langerado, the ill-fated Bonnaroo NE, if anyone here remembers that. Uh, the Peach Festival, Rothbury, which would become Electric Forest, the big summer classic, which went for, I think, two summers. It just seemed like there was a huge rise in the amount of bands that could be filled, like we talked about this in episode one, in the jam band genre. Whereas the members of Fish, Fish played with Jazz Mandolin, uh, Tab played with his Train band, 70 Volt Parade. Mike Gordon paired up with Leo Kotke, Vita Blue. There was the Grab Tour with uh Benevento Russo, Trey, and Mike. So there was a lot going on, and it wasn't hard to see members of Fish, although it was not Fish. I remember the Jammies, uh, the award show, right? There was enough of a scene going on that we kind of invented our own award show. What was live music like for you, Scott? Uh, after the breakup. Uh, for, for me,
1: I saw uh, a lot of tab shows and just got a chance to see other bands I normally wouldn't see as much. Uh, a lot of jam band stuff, you know, Mo Humphries, some some big names that were, were touring around that weren't jam bands, ended up going skiing in Vermont a little bit more than I was. So i used vacation time in different ways. And, you know, I definitely got a chance to do things a little differently uh, during those years and still working at my job. You know, it's still a big vacuum, if you will. All due respect to the other bands, but you know, when Fish wasn't there, he's had to fill the void, I guess.
0: Charlie, how about you? What was your professional life and then music going life like during uh, tw- two thousand five to two thousand eight?
2: Well, it, honestly, it was very similar to what I mentioned earlier. That you know, the same as it was really in two thousand three, two thousand four. Um, I my career as an attorney. At that time was extraordinarily busy. I was working all the time. I was traveling all the time. My wife was going to grad school in Vancouver, British Columbia for several years in there. And so we had an apartment in Vancouver as well as our um, apartment in San Francisco. And so I was flying to Vancouver from DC, New York, San Francisco, Chicago, almost every other weekend or every weekend on certain times. And so I was just very busy um, with work and and then getting getting to Vancouver and musically I was seeing a lot of you know anything Kim Ock was doing um that I could see I would go to I can't I, I know I saw Humphreys McGee at least once or twice in that window of time um and definitely Mo I'm sure I saw Mo during that time too without going back and looking at Stubbs I couldn't tell you um I know I was seeing Brad Meldow as much as I possibly can which is still the case now and he's, you know, a jazz penis free, but does no Brad Mill now. Highly recommend his music. So I was seeing you know, uh, as much as I could musically. But I mean, I was, I was working a lot and traveling a lot during that period.
0: And then in December of 2006, Trey was arrested, pulled over in Whitehall, I believe, New York, for erratic driving. And the officer found a bunch of pills, you know, pill bottles with different... Um, I'll say this in quotes because some of them aren't, but different medications and painkillers made out to people who did not have the name Trey Anastasio. He was arrested, and according to several articles, he thanked the officer who arrested him. That kind of says it all to me, that he was a man who wanted to get well but was in the throes of addiction. I would consider this arrest, probably other than their founding, the most important event in fish history, because without Trey getting arrested, it's almost certain that they wouldn't have gotten back together. The three of us probably wouldn't be sitting here talking to each other about this. Uh, I don't know that I would have a podcast going about fish. It just, you know, the butterfly effect, it, it goes, you know, a million different ways. I don't know if, I think Trey getting arrested was the shock to the system that he needed and thank God he got well. So that was to me, the biggest piece of news Led to the band, you know, greeting him, I think, for his birthday in 2007. They came to visit him and took him out bowling, if I remember reading correctly. And eventually right. led to Tom Marshall uh, riding backwards down the number line. And that's going to transition us to our next episode, which will probably have a more lighthearted tone than this one did. I hope. I mean, yeah, you can yeah, think of these three
1: episodes well. as Star Wars the Empire Strikes Back, and then we got Return of the Jedi coming up for for part three, so it's gonna be a little bit better.
2: <laughs> exactly. Later. Exactly. And that, it was in September oh7 that you know they went bowling. You know, the Bamers went bowling, and it was, it was also around that time that um, Mockingbird we created a, a fish reunion fund um, because the rumors had been really heavy that fish was gonna get back together. And so we kind of, in our excitement, we started a reunion fund <laughs> at that time that I think had like 10 or 15K in it at least by um, the time of the Hampton announcement. Which is and that was just for Mockingbird.
0: Like, if you want fish to get back together, donate $5 or something exactly, like
2: that. Exactly. Exactly. It was ridiculous. It was, and I, I think I did a, I think I ran a marathon um, fundraising for it. And fall of '07, and, and that raised several thousand dollars, and then, and I think it we just kept pushing it because we were convinced at that time that fish would be back, and we did we thought it would be '08, but obviously it wasn't until March '09. But, but that's why we started that fund in September 07 But yeah, we the rumors were hot and heavy that fish would be getting back together. It's a pretty exciting time, frankly.
0: Yeah, I remember they were playing, I think it was Brad Sands' wedding, that there is like a minute clip of them playing Susie Greenberg together on the wedding band's instruments. That was fun. Paige announced, put out an announcement, I should say, that said, rumors of a reunion are premature, but we've been having good conversations. I'm paraphrasing, it's something like that. So yeah, I can imagine, as a fan base, I think we were collectively digging our fingernails into our palms, just waiting for that announcement and that will be covered on our third and final episode of this time will be different 15 years since Hampton. So Scott Marks, thank you so much again for digging deep into the Empire Strikes Back segment of Vicious Story. Charlie, thank you. Even though it was even though Coventry, I've never heard anyone say it was one of the most uh, a blessed weekend,
2: even though obviously you.
0: you couched the it very well. Coventry story I've ever heard. Yeah, no kidding.
2: Well, now, yeah, I mean, guys, like just uh, <laughs> it was still very difficult for me, you know, emotionally. But at the same time, that part of the part of the reason it was so difficult emotionally was because I was so fortunate. You know what I mean? It just I, I yeah. felt like I didn't deserve it. I really felt like I didn't deserve it. It just made no sense to me. It was just extraordinarily fortunate experience, you know, to hit no traffic and to be <laughs> and to be, you know, in a staying in a vehicle. Right next to the venue. I mean, you all can't
1: see this on the podcast, <laughs> but there's there's me shaking my head while Charlie's telling the story here at this point. So,
2: <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh, it's
0: vigorously. like survivor's guilt of, of Coventry, pretty much. Yeah, no,
2: absolutely. Absolutely.
0: But we could step off Coventry for now. And I'm really excited for our third and final episode of this, where we come to that glorious weekend in March of 2009 to talk about the Hampton weekend. And what it was like to be there. So, Charlie, again, thank you. And Scott, thank you. Looking forward to next time. Thank you. And that's it for episode two of This Time Will Be Different, 15 Years Since Hampton. Very excited about the next episode when we reach salvation, when we reach our comeback or vicious comeback in Hampton. Before we wrap it up, though, normally on these conversation episodes and recap episodes, I don't do a fact check. But there is one very important fact that does need to be corrected. When we were talking about our experiences at Coventry, Charlie noted that his was actually quite easy compared to most fans. He said how Trey's sister and a friend of hers were able to set him up in convenient parking and even offered him an option to stay in a condo. Uh, next to the fan parking. While describing it, Charlie said that he responded to Christy Anastasio Manning. He said, are you kidding me? This has already been the most fortunate experience of his life. Charlie asked me to make a correction, a fact check indeed, to say that that was not the most fortunate experience of his life, that he has had several others, including marrying his wonderful wife. So Charlie, that one was for you. Other than that, ladies and gentlemen, uh, please take a moment, check out the Mockingbird Foundation. If you've enjoyed even one second of this podcast, make a donation. It all goes to music education, charities for musical education. There's no better charity out there uh, for the purposes of helping students discover music. So check out the Mockingbird Foundation. Thank you for listening to Attendance Bias, and we'll see you next week for the last episode of This Time Will Be Different.